Would you mind telling me whose brain I did put in? Then you won't be angry. I will not be angry. Abby someone. Abby someone. Abby who? Abby normal. This is the Abby Normal Podcast, here to tell you that you're weird and that's normal. In fifth grade, my parents sold our house to a family from out of state. I only saw them like twice, but they were totally fascinating. They had enough children for a baseball team, and they all looked different from each other. My siblings and I looked identical, so my little wheels were turning. Where did all these kids come from? It was my dream to be part of a rambunctious brood of unique-looking children that roamed the neighborhood all day creating shenanigans like your very own built-in gang. I read a lot. I didn't see the family again for almost 20 years. And then I met the eldest of this gang, Aaron, and we put the dots together that we had grown up in the same house, though at different points in our childhood. I get to talk to his parents today, Dale and Lisa. And even though the kids are grown, it's about as rambunctious as I imagined. There are three kids, two grandkids, and three dogs currently at their house. The creation story of this family begins in 1977, when Dale and Lisa were young, horny missionaries. So you want to know how Aaron was conceived? Yes, where were we? Well, when a man and a woman. (laughs) I get to tell him. Now, we had been married for just a few months when we went to Europe with Underground Evangelism, which was a mission organization that brought Christian literature and aid into Soviet bloc countries during the Cold War. And my sister had come for a visit to see us in Germany, so we took her on a little tour of some of Europe not too far away. One of the places we went was Italy. We had a camper. But the Your three, sister was involved in this conception? Not no. directly, no. <laughs> Her presence had to do with where. Um, anyway, so we were sharing this camper and actually sharing a bed. So <laughs> I was in the middle, always no. in the bed. So Dale and I, being newlyweds, felt you know, like we went some private time. Yeah. So we took a walk into the orchard, which mm-hmm. was near where our camper was. And she couldn't keep her hands off me. Probably not. And <laughs> and that's where Aaron was conceived, in the orchard, in orchard outside Venice, Italy. That is so romantic, isn't it? You guys should go Ew. to Venice. Stop. Just stop with your thought process. I actually have a picture of the orchard. <gasps> you do. Yeah. I do. <gasps> so then when did you find out you are pregnant? When you started throwing up every morning. <laughs> oh, did you? Yeah, for a few weeks, because I didn't really... We That wasn't something we were working toward at the time. No, it so. actually seems pretty inconvenient to be in missionaries in a Soviet bloc country and find out you're pregnant. No, yeah, we weren't in a Soviet bloc We lived in We Germany. lived in Germany. Okay. Yeah, but that's what our mission did was to go into them, bringing aid and then coming back out with vehicles that had secret compartments. So Dale's job was to build vehicles with secret compartments. Shut up. I need more information <laughs> about that. Um, underground evangelism, their ministry was 
getting Christian literature behind the Iron Curtain. And not only did they take in Christian literature, but uh, they would smuggle in money and medicine uh, to people because if you're a Christian, you basically got and had nothing. Normally, they had you go as soon as you got, got there uh, because you didn't know anything. That way, if for some reason you were stopped, you couldn't tell them anything you didn't know. Anyway, one of the first jobs I did was we took these fiberglass pop-up trailers, little pop-up campers, and modified them with the secret compartment, which I totally said was a horrible idea and didn't want anything to do with it. And I said, there's no way I'd ever take one of these things behind the Iron Curtain. So anyway, they said, okay, you're going to make a trip and uh, you're going to take uh, the Peugeot, which I thought was a really good car, you know, very good compartment, and one of the trailers. That's what we did. But the, 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 I think the most significant experience was seeing God at work in that trip. We went into this little village, right? We're in a, in a brand new high dollar station wagon towing a camping trailer, right? And this is a village that- No one had cars. No one had cars. So we pulled over to wait for the person who was gonna take us to where we needed to go. And we're pulled over here and up on the corner is a guard with a machine gun. And um, it's like, it's like he never even saw us. He never even looked up, never, it's like he didn't even know we were there. And uh, we went into a, um, a courtyard. courtyard, a compound where these people live. We pulled in and they closed the gate behind it. And these people were giving up everything to take this stuff in. And um, uh, that was very moving because for us, if we'd gotten caught, uh, at the time, politically, Romania um, would have just given us a, a slap on the wrist and thrown us out of the country because they were trying to get favored nation status with the United States. So they are not going to do anything to disrupt this. For these people, they were basically, if got caught, they were giving up their freedom mm -hmm. and uh, what little freedom they had, obviously. So we... Um, unloaded stuff in and they brought out some kind of juice and some kind of little wafer cookies that were just horrible. They were so stale. Mm -hmm. But this was the best they could offer. I mean... Um, you know it would say it saved them. You know. um, it was very, um, very moving. So one of those times in your life you said, I'm doing something that is really worthwhile. Mm -hmm. Okay, because there's so much that we do is going through the motions. We uh, had an interpreter, and so we prayed us in English, them in Romanian. Romanian. It uh, one of those life events that you'll never forget, and knowing that we were doing what we were supposed to be doing. Quick history lesson. The Iron Curtain was initially a non-physical boundary dividing Europe into two separate areas from the end of World War II in 1945 until the end of the Cold War in 1991. The term symbolizes the efforts by the Soviet Union to block itself and its satellite states from open contact with the West and its allied states, per Wikipedia. 
So how did two newlyweds, 22-year-old Dale and 20-year-old Lisa, end up working with this organization? The pastor at the church we were going to said, hey, I would like to meet with you. Actually, his son, who was my friend, we rode around the United States and um, Canada on motorcycles for six months. Uh, and so him saying, Dad wants to talk to you, that was not necessarily a good sign. Uh, he said, um, how would you like to be an auto mechanic? We need your skills in, uh, in Germany. I said, well, I'm an aircraft mechanic. And he said, no, you have the perfect skills for this. And so Lisa was all in, and she was ready to go, and I was not all in, and I certainly wasn't ready to go. But uh, basically, as this thing began to play out, I basically said, well, Lord, if this is what you want me to do, then you're going to need to make it happen because this is not what I want to do. You know, I mean, I was just starting my career. I was starting to fly, and that's what I really wanted to do is become a pilot. And uh, it, it was amazing how things worked out. And you've never heard this before? Okay, so we ran newly married, right? We have an apartment full of furniture that we're paying for. Uh, I, I'm still claiming this whole time. I am an aircraft mechanic. And so when I, I finally had the interview with the director, he says, okay, I understand you're an aircraft mechanic. Yes, I am. And he said, what, do you know anything about hydraulics? I said, well, yeah. What about pneumatics? Yep. Electronics? Yes. All those stuff to be, you have to know to be an aircraft mechanic. And so he, he says, this is what we do. We take a vehicle and we build secret compartments to smuggle Christian literature behind the Iron Curtain. Mm -hmm. And our compartments, we use hydraulics, we use pneumatics, we use electronics to trigger and open, and mm -hmm. that's why we want your skill level. Uh, we were out of furniture and on our way to, to Germany in a matter of 45 days. Mm -hmm. In the year we were there, the ministry turned out 17 vehicles, brand new vehicles. We would take a Mercedes cargo van and turn it into a camper van. And uh, these little fiberglass trailers was one of the things that one of the projects I got put on because I knew how to fiberglass and uh, I said you know, I'd never take one of those in, in our experience there we both learned never to say well I'd never do that <laughs> because as soon as we did we, we would end up doing that so. right your voice is back in the states they had that first little bundle of joy Aaron and their second son Matt but both babies had medical problems and had to spend time at the hospital after birth. One contracted meningitis during labor, and one was premature. But what I want to explore is how they gained the rest of their children. You'll hear two of them pipe in, Kylie and David. We wanted a little girl, or a big girl, we didn't care, uh, but didn't want to go through the trauma again, little did we know. Of childbirth. No. no, of leaving your child in the hospital when you go home. In intensive care. So you wanted less trauma and you wanted a girl. We wanted a girl. So somehow Lisa met someone that knew something. <laughs> so you're a really good storyteller. You mean I called the adoption agency? Yeah. <laughs> and we found out about international adoption. Okay, wait, how did you 
what was the conversation? She waited until I called home one night and was dead tired, and she says, do you think we should, uh, excuse me, do you think we should, uh, okay, yeah, whatever. <laughs> no, we, we, we knew we wanted a girl. And we also knew that biology isn't what made a family, or certainly wasn't the only thing that God can use to make a family. Mm -hmm. So I feel like God used Matt and Aaron's health issues to steer us where he intended. Path. Yes, not mm -hmm. that he caused them, but he did. He wastes nothing. So mm -hmm. anyway, Kylie was first. She was a year old when she came. A year later, we added the Lindsay. Greatest gift they've ever. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, she must have been the cutest baby. She was. She was like holding a sack of potatoes. <laughs> she didn't help. You know how most babies or like, toddlers to will, will kind of hold themselves up. Not her. No. No. She's just like no. dead weight. <laughs> dead weight. Are you gonna hold me? Oh God! You're and gonna hold we got. <laughs> She had been crying on the airplane, had snot all over her face uh, when mm -hmm. we picked her up at the airport. Brought her home. We were told she couldn't walk. Brought her home, set her on the floor, and away she went. Oh. She was walking. Mm -hmm. So how did you pick her? Out of a catalog. <laughs> Shot in a catalog. They do not have catalogs. <laughs> they send you a referral which you may choose to accept or decline, but they won't send you another one if you decline. What generally. does that mean, a referral? So once you apply and your home study is sent to the adoption agency in the country, they will select a child that they feel is a, a good they, match. Yeah, they try to match you up and they have a, a very uh, rigorous process that they use. And if I remember correctly, this is like big wheel with their pictures on it. They spin it and throw a dart at it. And whoever landed, that's who you got. Dale is full of jokes, but this is what their attitude was. But again, in what we can pray for is God's will. So whether you adopt a child or you give birth to a child, it is what it is. So. I think that's kind of how we approached it, okay? You know, we felt we should do this. They got daughter Kylie and then decided to adopt again. This little one had some healing to do. How did you figure out how to rehab Lindsay? Like, what do you do? You love them a lot. <laughs> we found out, we discovered early on that water was really calming for her. And so we got a little kiddie pool and put it on patio and she would sit in that water and relax and she would play with Kylie if she was in the water. So we put Kylie in there too, even though we knew Lindsay had Giardias, the health department frowned upon that because Kylie did get Giardias, of course. Um, <laughs> but we figured that could be treated and Lindsay needed to heal, you know. So that was the start. She slept with us in our bed because she had night terrors. And How old was she? Three and a half. Wow. But you weighed 18 pounds. Mm -hmm. So you hold them and you tell them that you love them and you communicate that best you can. We did as much skin-on-skin -skin contact as we could because 
Infants need that for bonding, and so do children. Then there's counseling as they get older. Mm -hmm. She did a life book where she was able to create her story because she didn't have one. She was abandoned as an infant. And so that allowed her a way to do some processing, thinking about what might have been, because we'll never know those things. Mm -hmm. girls that they wanted, and a total of four kids, Dale and Lisa thought they were all done. And then... Well, I called home one night, and Lisa said, do we want another baby? And I said, no. I said, kids get in the car and put on their own seatbelts, they tie their own shoes, you know, why would we do this to ourselves? But it was something that both Lisa and I, independently, could not get off our hearts. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, 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 it was, we knew this, independently, we knew this is what we're, we were supposed to be doing. And so um, I got home from a trip, or I don't know if I called or had gotten home, and I said to her, I said, I cannot get this baby off my mind. And she said, I can't either. So for us, that was God telling us, this is what I want you to do. So that's what we did. Mm-hmm. And David's was a little different in that it was in a private adoption. And we were approached by friends who knew of his birth mom and knew that she wanted to choose the birth parents. Didn't want him to risk being a part of foster care system. Mm-hmm. She knew she couldn't take care of a baby. Mm-hmm. We had no idea that he would be so enamored with brown towels. I mean. (laughs) Huh, David? Brown towels. Not big towels, little towels. (laughs) So, you know, there are things in our lives that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt, this is what I'm supposed to do in the adoption of of all of our kids. This is what we're supposed to do. Whether they're biological or adopted, you have no guarantees of anything, right? And so um, has our our faith been tested? Sure, both. Mm -hmm. You know, if we could choose perfect, I think we probably all would, but what would be the fun in that? Right. They wouldn't have gotten us. I mean, really, Lindsay owes you, Kylie. Why? Because if you were a pain in the butt child, they wouldn't have adopted another one. But she was. You were so cute and sweet. (laughs) She was a pain in the butt child? They all were. (laughs) (laughs) Why did you continue then? Um, I'm sure you've heard the saying happy wife, happy life. All right, we have one last but not least kid to go. Dale is busily rustling his newspaper in classic dad style. Okay, tell me about bringing Jordan home. That is the dumbest thing we ever did. (laughs) Do I get to talk? Sure. Okay. What happens when you bring a kid out of the catalog? Right. A discount. (laughs) Now, we had... um, 
adopted David and he was about four years younger than Kylie five and we wanted went closer in his to his age because we're so close in age. So we had also adopted through private or began the process of adopting through private adoption a little girl that we had to give back the day before we were to go to court to finalize Jamie Lynn. So we didn't want David to be kind of this straggler with a group of four that were so close in age. Mm -hmm. So we um, let our social worker know that we would be interested in adopting another little boy somewhere in David's age range. And so he was three and a half also. They're the same age. David and Jordan, mm -hmm. uh, nine months apart. Wow. So, so they found you a friend. <laughs> I have no idea what an Irish twin is, but that sounded funny. <laughs> he was three and a half. So how were he and Lindsay different when you brought them home? He was definitely, I think, you know, as affected by his abandonment as she was, but demonstrated it much differently. Mm -hmm. Like he yeah. pee on the carpet. Yeah, Lindsay withdrew into herself, mm -hmm. and Jordan was aggressive. Mm -hmm. So if he was naughty and we would have to do a timeout or something, we'd have to stand directly in front of him so that he would stay. He would pound on us the whole time. And then to demonstrate that he was not happy, he'd go pee on the carpet just so to the say, does. there you go. That's right. <laughs> just like the captain. <laughs> yep. So it took a long time for Jordan to trust. Mm -hmm. He really actually never really believed that we were going to be there for him forever until he was in rehab. When he was like 18. Mm -hmm. And that is when he finally got it. Mm -hmm. I remember being at family night during therapy with him and not saying anything that hadn't been said before, but he started to cry. He said, you're really never going to give up on me, are you? Like, never. And so it took him until then, and he realizes now that a lot of his acting out and bad behavior was just waiting for the other shoe to drop and to be left again. Mm -hmm. Jordan was taken to the orphanage when he was three, when his parents divorced. Oh my gosh. So old enough to be very aware of the loss, but not old enough to understand it. At totally. All. Very devastating age to experience that kind of loss. And so it took him a really long time. You're making a ruckus. We're going to be with there. With your newspaper. Me? There's that ADD. <laughs> <laughs> did, were Jordan and David fast friends, or did they have to warm up to each other? They were fast friends when they were little. I would say they were not close in high school. Mm -hmm. Or do not. Yeah, yeah. Junior high. yeah, and then now they couldn't be closer. Yeah. Did you have, ever have a conversation about your adopted, or was it just everybody knew what their stories uh, were? Abby. <laughs> <laughs> they don't know I'm, Abby. I'm adopted. <laughs> Dale and Lisa are Caucasian, and three of the kids were adopted from Korea. So apparently, my question is silly. <laughs> I, I forgot Kylie and I were somewhere and I said this is my daughter Kylie and the person that looks at her and then looks at me you know is like well she can't be your daughter 
And I said, don't you see the resemblance? <laughs> yeah. When you have kids that are of a different race, there is no decision about when to tell them. Uh, yeah, it's kind of obvious. <laughs> it's a part of their growing up. Yeah. They know. And I remember when the four were little, two biological and then the two girls, and people would stare at us. And I would think, how really rude. Have people never seen multiracial families before? But now I kind of think they were just staring at us because there were four very small children all at the same time. Yeah, really. <laughs> I don't think it had that much to do with their color. I asked Lisa if they feel like a multiracial family. And she said, to a point, yeah. yeah. No, I never felt that way. Yeah. But we are. And, and we did we try a multiracial family. I think when we lived in Camarillo and there was a really large population of adopted kids from Korea and opportunities for us to expose our kids to their culture, we did that. Mm -hmm. When we moved to Washington and then here, that was lost somewhat. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that's one of the things that I wish we could have done better, mm -hmm. is to raise them with a greater awareness and appreciation for their, their, their Korean culture. Were they the only Koreans in Walla Walla? Probably. Don't recall others. Well, I think most people thought they were Hispanic. They did not. <laughs> we used to go to ABC Taco. <laughs> They had a couple of different kinds of hot sauce, right? Us white folks couldn't eat the hot hot sauce. Right. Kylie and Lindsay... They brought out the extra special for them. And they were just amazed. <laughs> so. Is that true? It is true. It no. Is true. We love that restaurant. Well, they... <laughs> but they would cheat. bring you the hot sauce? Yeah. <laughs> well, I remember one really, time they know. were like, who's it for? They so, were, and he pointed at us, and they were like, "Are you, are you sure it's really spicy?" And they're like, "They'll eat it." <laughs> Kylie loved her hot sauce and still does, but I wanted to know how she felt about her birth parents and her experience as an adoptee. Is there a time that when you started getting curious about your birth parents? You started asking questions. Um, I don't distinctly remember that, but I, I do remember in kindergarten coming home upset because kids were cruel and had pointed out that I looked different than all of my siblings. You know, when you ask about like a multiracial family, I don't see those lines, if mm -hmm. you will, yeah. in, in our family like other people see it. You know, mm -hmm. when they talk about like, their family history, I just assume sometimes that, oh, that must be, that must run in my family because I don't see yeah. those dividing lines the way everybody else does. Right, right, right. So, yeah. for me, it's just it's my family. Right. When you're in the midst of your own family, that's what happens in your head. I remember taking her to the doctor. I don't remember what she was being treated for, but I told the doctor, well, such and such runs in our family. And she looked at me like I was insane, which, of course, irrelevant in this case. But yeah. you don't, sometimes you just, of course, yeah, you know, apply your own reality to your kids. Yeah. I think for me as a mom, one of the most frustrating things was school projects where they were supposed to put baby pictures. They didn't have baby pictures. Right. 
Kylie's youngest picture was at 11 months, and Jordan and Lindsay's at three. Mm -hmm. Or being asked to, you know, do a family tree. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, they have a complicated story, mm -hmm. and they, when they're little, they don't understand that story yet, nor should they really have to look at it very sure. clearly. Yeah. And we had to tell tell them when they had to do that project of a family tree that we're bush. Yeah. <laughs> but we did not. I like that description. You all fell very far from the tree. <laughs> no, that was difficult. And. Dale's rustling has gotten totally out of control. But what Lisa is saying is that when she became a teacher, she was very conscious that foster and adopted kids often can't participate in those kind of activities fully. And there are plenty of other ways for kids to celebrate who they are without doing something that causes a child who may already feel different to have a greater sense of not normal, whatever they perceive that to be. They might perceive that to be, yeah. You remember Jordan coming home? You were like, um, yes. I, well, I remember five? going to the oh, when the airport. He was adopted. Yeah. Oh, I thought she was talking about when he got thrown out of the house multiple times. <laughs> <laughs> Which time do I remember him coming home? Um, no, I remember going to the airport and picking him up. Really? Yeah. How did you feel? Uh, it was exciting. It was different you know not like going to the, a hospital and like meeting your new baby brother you know like that but what did you see I remember crying because you know getting to meet your new newest member and he had on a, a little backpack I'm sure he was extremely overwhelmed because they were he was severely outnumbered by all of us do you remember bringing David home on the airplane uh-uh no. You, were, you were just in kindergarten then. Yeah, David, uh, there was no thing, no action that David would do that we all were just completely enamored with him. <laughs> it's true. It really, it really was. He had everybody wrapped around his little finger. <laughs> Pretty cute, weren't you, David? I think I had more, uh, maybe not curiosity about like who... I think I did have curiosity about who my parents were, but I think the hardest thing for ad adopted kids, well, at least for me, was not knowing, like, why you have the nose you have or why, you you know, how did you get the color hair you have? Or, you know, like, Aaron and Matt can look at my parents and they know why they have the shape of their nose or the curve of their back because those are various traits that get passed on from your parents, but... I don't get to look at them and know why mm -hmm. I was, why, who, which one of my parents I got my looks from or, you know, a distinguishing thing from. So, yeah. so people have asked me, you know, if I would ever consider adoption, especially since I've been adopted. And that has always been a, a no for me. I think for primarily that reason, well, especially since I'm able to have kids, you know, I want, wanted to be able to look into Lainey's face and see a part of me. And I also wanted her to be able to look at me and see a part of her. So I think that's when um, 
All of you were expecting your first babies, you and Lindsay and Jordan. The thing I wanted most for them was to be able to look into that little face and see themselves. They really wanted their babies to, to look like them because they'd never had that before. Mm -hmm. They didn't know what it's like to look into a face and see themselves. So I wanted that also very much for them. Well, they all got it. They did, didn't they? <laughs> <laughs> It's amazing how God works in our lives if we'll let Him. You know, one of the things that Lisa and I have, have talked about is that we taught our kids to be good people, okay? We, and I may not be wording this right, we, we did not teach our kids to fear God, okay? It's like, okay, you accepted Christ, one and done, you're, you're good to go. but. That is not what God has asked us to do. And so looking back now, if for both of us, if, if, if there's something we could change, okay, that would be at the top of the list. So in other words, the God-fearing part is, we feel like the thing that we failed at was helping our kids understand a personal, deep relationship with God. It's not about accepting Jesus so you can go to heaven. It's having an avenue to a deep relationship with God. And that we kind of feel like we failed at, and we take great responsibility for that. I don't feel like you should. Starts with what kids learn from their parents. Eventually, it has to become your own, but... Yeah, but I also feel like, doesn't God have responsibility for that beyond parenting? I mean, at what, at what point does Jesus take the wheel and steer the well, relationship? Well, Jesus can only steer it to the extent that a heart's open. And, and only to the extent that we pursue him. Uh, and I, I think in, in my own Christian walk, I didn't begin pursuing until um, I was in my 40s. And then, if I'm going to be honest here, I didn't become genuine in my pursuit until I was in my late 50s. Mm -hmm. Intentionally seeking a relationship on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. um, being a Christian is not... Uh, a list of do's and don'ts. Our, our God wants a relationship with us. Just as Aaron wanted a relationship with you or I wanted a relationship with Lisa, what did we do? We pursued, right? And so God is not going to chase us down. He relies on us to pursue him. God occupies more than just Sunday morning, you know, God is something that occupies every day and all the time. What would you have done differently? Well, I think, you know, in terms of raising the kids, showing them more of the relationship that I had with God rather than it being such a private thing mm -hmm. um, and, and teaching them that more openly. I think in the evangelical world, we 
tend to be taught that salvation is like the end thing and it is I mean ultimately Christ came so that we could have presence with God in eternity but also so that we could have community with God here So they started out as horny missionaries, and after raising six kids, they're still preaching. But it sounds like their only regret is not doing more of it. That eldest son that I met many years after our family home changed hands, he became my husband, and I get to officially be part of this gang. So I may have a bit of a theological difference with Dale and Lisa. I think God does pursue us. Perhaps he planted that desire long ago to be part of this family. And 20 years later, love was kindled. Or maybe it was just a weird coincidence. Dale and Lisa are retired and have nine grandkids. That kiddo that everyone was enamored with, he graduated with a degree in business and was also diagnosed with Huntington's disease, a thief that is currently incurable. They're full-time caregivers for David, who enjoys the Reba show and is the Uno King. <laughs> what do you have to say, David? I'm ready. Hi. Oh, that was so good. He's going to be a star. <laughs> <laughs> tell, tell Abby you don't like her podcast. I just saw you shake your head now and ask if you like it. <gasps> David, is that true? You don't like it? Why? <laughs> You've never heard it. It's not appropriate. It's not. David's a grown ass man. He could listen if you want. <laughs> Tell her, David. <laughs> Tell her. I'm a grown ass man. I'll listen if I want. <laughs> <laughs> This track is Apocalypse Now by VJ Memes. Thank you.